spread. I like that. Are you buckled in? That goes well with today's sermon, just like the last, uh, the last song did. So let's get into the word this morning. We're in uh, Daniel 3. Daniel 3 verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set, uh, set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. That's a big piece of gold, isn't it? Now later, we'll, they really think it was gold-plated, not necessarily full of gold. Could have been. I'm not sure. But before I go into to this this morning, uh, I'm sure you, how many of you heard the story of the fiery furnace? Everybody should basically raise their hand, right? Okay, entertain me. How many of you have heard the story of the fiery furnace? Raise your hand. Thank you. Okay, interactive here, okay? Um, we've all heard it if you've been around the church which kind of presents a problem because you know what's coming next. You know God ends up in the fire, right? God saves the day. They come out. And they're, they don't even smell like they've been around a campfire. You know the story, and that's the problem because it doesn't allow you to be a part of the story. Imagine yourself a little Hebrew child who is listening to this story being told from the scroll that Daniel had just wrote down. Put yourself in that role because there is emotion to the story that we often miss because we know what's going to happen. What Daniel is trying to say about this is, well, first off, the king made a gigantic image from gold, 90 feet tall, 90 feet. I think our cross out here is only 87 feet or something like that. So add a few more feet to that. Nine feet wide. That is a lot of gold. Now we don't know exactly how long after chapter 2 this is. But Daniel has told the king, you, O king, you're the head of the gold. Remember last chapter? You're the head and it's full of gold. So the king gets this idea, well, I can make a whole body full of gold, you know. So we don't know how long it is, but Daniel's told the king this, and, and different nations will be in power, but in the end, it'll all be destroyed. We talked about that last chapter. So part of me says, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, you're kind of an idiot, right? Why are you doing this? But I guess Nebuchadnezzar wants to hurry up the process. So it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and, 90, uh, and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and, and, the, and the, all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So basically, he called all the kingdoms up that he was in control of and says, send your representatives, send everybody. We're going to have a big party here. They're going to have a big de uh, you know, dedication. So verse 3, so the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Verse 4, then the, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. 
As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lair, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the image of God and King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Now, before I keep going reading here, remember, you're a child listening to this. You're kind of on the edge of your seat, okay? You're listening to this, this story that just, okay, maybe I should. My son, is Grayson out of here? Okay, Grayson loves this series. I, I, I know, I probably shouldn't, but it's called Captain Underpants, okay? And he's like, I mean, he's like, he's been reading for a long time since he was like three, but he's like, can we go read? And I'm like trying to, I'm thinking, do I really want to encourage this? I mean, with those books. But at the same time, I want to encourage reading. You know what I'm saying? So he's like on the edge of his seats uh, thinking about this. This is how these kids are listening to this story from Daniel, or read from the, the scroll of Daniel. They're on the edge of their seats. Verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, of the flute, the uh, zither, the lie, the, the, the lair, the harp, the, all kinds of music, all the peoples and nations of every language fell down and worshipped the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. We have a problem, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the problem. Remember who used to be in charge of the wise men? Daniel, right? Well, before Daniel, it was the Babylonians. But now it's Daniel. The Jews, they're the problem. Verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree. O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the, fl- uh, the, horn, the flute, the, you know all the stuff and all the pipes and all kinds of music, uh, you try to read it over and over and over, you know, but must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Just in case you forgot that, O king, this is what you had decreed. We're just trying to remind you. Verse 12, but there are some, the Jews, whom have set, uh, that you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you forgot, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. The, the story, the, the intensity of the story is building now for these young people. Verse 14, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you will not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of all the musical instruments, If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, challenge. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Ouch. This is a way to get in the good graces of the king, right? Verse 17, if, you're, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your, king, from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know 
O king, that we do not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Remember, you're a little kid. You're hearing this for the very first time. <gasps> okay, nobody. Go with me. <gasps> very good. You're good at this. Verse 19. Then the Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, the, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers to tie, uh, in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes were bound up and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, uh, 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 firmly tied, fell into the furnace. And the king can never... Uh, uh, wait, did I miss something? No, it killed them. And then the three men, the firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then verse 24, the king, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And his advisors... He said, weren't these men the ones that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. No tricks here, certainly. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors uh, crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harm, harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. It's interesting. He didn't call out the fourth one. He didn't want to be approached by the fourth one that was in the fire that blazed as the, you know, the son of the gods, in a sense, I think, as he said earlier. But this is one of those chapters that you can take and study all by yourself. In fact, most of us sitting here have learned this as children, as an individual story, and the disservice of this is that it's not connected to the rest of Daniel. There's a bigger picture here with this story other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and God being in the furnace with them, Jesus being in the furnace with them. There's a broader story here. As I said earlier, we don't know exactly when this happens. We know that in chapter 1, these young men were approximately 14 or 15 years of age. And by chapter 3, they're presented as young men, no longer youths. So they're somewhere in their 20s. But this story does relate to the, cha does relate to the previous chapter because of the statue part. Nebuchadnezzar builds his 90-foot tall statue, nine foot wide, and it didn't fit into the city. So they took it out to the plain of Dura. So now, you know, it's probably gold-plated, not solid, but still pretty expensive. Something that most people had never seen before. It's not like everyone had one in their hometown or something. I mean, this would have been something to go see, wouldn't it have been? 
I mean, we like to travel around the United States and see different things. And I mean, the Hoover Dam and, and different places, we like to see these things that are, that are man-made, and we go, wow. How did, I mean, Hoover Dam, the, the cement is not completely, you know, um, uh, hardened. It's still hot in certain places, they say, down in there, because it n- never fully, it's so thick. You know what I'm saying? That's amazing. This had to be a sight to see. Now, we don't know if it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar. I kind of tend to think it is. Or if it's an image of one of his gods. It might have been his god. It might have been him. We don't really know. But the scene is set in the first seven verses. He orders a statue to be built. Imagine all the rumors going around. Local newspaper. Man, I think it should be 75 foot tall instead of 90 foot tall. You know, all the different disagreements. I like the idea. I don't like the idea. But this huge statue is built. And he calls out the festival. In verse 2, he says, He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. This is a major thing. Everyone is showing up to the festival. This is like all the UN gathering to come to New York. This is like the United States, all the governors, all the mayors, all coming to one place. Babylon has conquered the known world at the time, so everyone is coming. Everyone who is anyone is supposed to be there, so we would all be included, right? The problem, of course, is that this also includes some people who are going to have a problem with this. And not just a political problem, but a spiritual problem. Now, there are going to be some Jews that go, eh, who cares? A little statue will go out there. We'll do what they say. But then there's others that are sitting there going, hmm. Any little Jewish boy or girl hearing this story would automatically know this. This, this dedication includes worship of an idol and an image. So when the, the, the you know, music and all the instruments sound, everyone's supposed to fall down and worship. So why can't these guys let it slide this one time? Well, it violates everything that they have learned since they were little children. This is why it's important for us to support our, our families that we have and, and the young ones and to teach them we're all teachers to stand up for what God has for us and to show them what is right and what is wrong. It has nothing to do with the pagan king ordering it. These guys have already done some things that I would have balked at. I mean, I like the stars, but could I sit in a class where they tell us that that's what tells us the future? I don't know. These guys went to classes about magical arts. And and what does Daniel get upset about? The food. I mean, if they weren't serving, serving barbecue, I might be upset, you know. But it's interesting to watch and see what these guys object to. This time, they're objecting to the first and second command out of Exodus. Exodus 20, you shall have another, uh, verse 3, you shall have another, no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, on earth, Beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, a punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, this would have been a direct violation of both commandments, idolatry. Now, the problem with idolatry is the idol becomes the God. This actually split the Eastern and Western church uh, around 1066, uh, mainly over this thing right here, idolatry. Now, when I was in Greece, I did a mission trip to Greece, took some college students there at one point, and, and they have little Greek icons, okay? This is what the church split over, the Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church in 1066. Okay, these things were made. Now, at that time, most people didn't have a Bible in their home. Most people didn't know how to read. So they started making these little, little um, icons, as you would say. And what was, uh, there's certain um, symbols on here that would remind you of certain things about God. There's certain colors. And as you prayed, you would pray through this, okay? But the Catholic Church came up and said, wait a second, that's idolatry. And they split apart, Okay, but this was supposed to be used for focus, but people started using it as an idolatry type of thing. All of a sudden, the idol becomes the God. Now, this is kind of neat, it's kind of fun, focus in prayer, but we don't worship something like this because it becomes the God. And the God behind the idol becomes what? Nothing. Now, it's ironic the two major churches split in 1066 over this because it, the roles have kind of flipped a little bit, okay? Um, now the Eastern churches began to tell worshipers, this represents God, but it's not a God. And the Western, uh, you know, part has started producing idols that the, now they, they pray to. Now, I'm no, by no means am I anti-Catholic, but I do have uh, some problems with the Catholic church. We, we shouldn't pray to statues, we don't revere statues. We don't touch statues like they, they give us power or anything like that. We pray to God, the one true God. That's who we pray to. We don't need to go to anyone else. That's what the Word says. They also believe that the Pope is infallible, and as you studied that, uh, uh, so he never sins when he's talking on God's behalf. And I'm like, but, but he's human. Of course he sins, okay? So the problem with idols is this. It demeans our God. All of a sudden, we think that, that he is not all-powerful. Man, I, sh I shouldn't have left my God on my mantle this morning. I should have brought it with me. You see? The idol becomes God, and we can walk away from it. We can leave it. So now I can do whatever I want because my God's not around me. And then they would go back to their God, and they would burn incense and ask for forgiveness. And this is the nature of idolatry. For pagans in Daniel's time wasn't a problem. Their gods were limited anyway. They had a God of the sky, they had a God of the water, they had a God of the earth, they had the God of the, the, the moon, the God of the sun, the God of the frog, the God of whatever you want to put in there. They had gods for everything. So it's not a big deal for pagans. But the biblical God, he's not limited. Therein lies the problem. There is a, you know, there is God and then there's everything else. You see, it's God. We cannot bring God down to our levels. Our God is a one-of-a-kind God, and in many ways, we can't relate to him 
And praise the Lord, Jesus came down here to give us a way to relate to him in certain ways. Well, we cannot even imagine or, or, or think about how big God is. So when we take something that we create and say it represents God, then it's bound by space, time, and matter. But God is not bound by these things. We forget that when we say the eyes of the Lord are upon you. It doesn't literally mean that God has these two eyes and he's looking down upon you. It's just a way for us to express about God knowing who we are and what we do every moment of the day. It expresses to us that he's all-seeing and all-knowing. The hand of the Lord. Well, he must have a hand. And it guides us. Well, if that's the case, then God also has feathers. Okay, no one laughed. I heard a little snicker there. Because in Psalms 91, it says, Under his wing I will take refuge. You see my point? It's just a way of describing the attributes of God. We need to describe God in a language we understand. And understanding that at the same time, we understand that he is indescribable. So how do we take an image or something that has no stuff because he's not made of stuff, but we try to stuff him into an idol. And if we do that, what do we have? A stuffed do uh, God. I was fixing to say stuffed dog. <laughs> but we have a stuffed God. And we bring him down to our level, and we start limiting God. Israel has always dealt with this problem, because they're surrounded by pagan nations. Idols were everywhere. It was that way back then. And in many ways, it's that way right now. It started out with the golden calf with, you know, Moses coming down the, the mountain and there they have a golden calf acting just like the Egyptians. And most of the prophets spoke to this. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, it says, after verse 25, after you have children and grandchildren, and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I will call heaven and earth as witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed." The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Then you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone who cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all of your heart and all of your soul. This is the exact place they find themselves in the book of Daniel. The Israelites fell away from God. They started worshiping all these idols over and over again, so they lost their land. The Assyrians came in, the Babylonians came in, they took a lot of the people, and they were scattered amongst the nations, and they started worshiping their idols. But it says, but if you seek me, you will find me. This is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have done. 
in the foreign land, they have said, I'm not going to serve your foreign gods. I'm not going to bow down to that statue. I'm going to serve the Lord instead, the one true God. So this theme of idolatry runs throughout the whole scriptures. It often takes a form of, of other sin. We call it adultery. God has made a covenant with us. And we've broken that covenant. And God says, this is like a husband and wife. You've gone after someone else outside your marriage. And God says, whoa, whoa, you need to come back. You need to come back. You know, it's kind of interesting. Another way of saying this is pluralism is a modern word that we like to use of worshiping many different things. I read, a, I read an article yesterday that talked about that 70% of Christians... Think about this, 70% say that there are multiple ways to God and Jesus is not the only way. Wow, that blows my mind. When I read that, my mind immediately went to, there's a narrow way that is hard and a broad way that is easy. The narrow leads to God, the broad leads to where? Leads to hell. 70%. So my question is, are they truly believers? Luckily, I don't have to make that decision. That's God's decision. I don't get to sit around and go, oh, well, let's evaluate Bob over there. You know, I don't get to do that. That's God's choice. That's God's thing. See, our, our covenant with God is treated like this marriage. Either we are faithful or we are not. And if we're not, it's a sin. In Revelations, it talks about the harlot Babylon because God's people followed after other idols. And the way the prophets dealt with this is by ridiculing them. And a classic example of the ridicule is Isaiah 44. Verse 10, it says, Who shapes a god and casts an idol? Who can profit him nothing, or which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals and shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. Verse 13, the carpenter measures a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it into a form of man uh, of man and all his glory that it may dwell, uh, dwell in a shrine. He cuts down the cedars or perhaps takes a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. If his man's fuel for burning, some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. And he makes an idol and bows down to it. Verse 16, half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meats and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. From the rest of it, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it in worship. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing. 
They understand nothing, and their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I will use for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals, a roasted meat, and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Should I bow down uh, to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, it is not this thing in my right hand, or is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Now, we read this thing, and we think, okay, well, this makes sense for them. We get it. Basically, you know, we don't like idols. I don't make idols. Do you make idols? These are silly people worshiping a, a block of wood, right? Silly people. But think of it this way. The the Israelites lived in a society and a world that that this was common. It is like an invisible God is no God at all. They don't exist to the the world around us. And this is the issue in the New Testament, and especially in the first couple of centuries. In fact, one of the charges in the second century when the Romans were were out killing Jews, they they were saying, you're an atheist. And we think, well, that's, no, that's wrong, because today's day and age, an atheist is what? Somebody who doesn't believe in a God. But they said, you have no image of a God, so therefore you don't believe in a God, so therefore you are an atheist. You have no God. And in fact, they they drug him to the stadiums, and and at one point, uh, uh, and his name just went right out of my mind, but uh, is written about in in Revelations, they they screamed at him, away with the, polycarp, away with the atheist, away with the atheist, and they literally burned him on the stake. This is documented secular history. This is the world that they were immersed in. Psalms 115 says, Why do nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made from hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. So... And so with all, uh, will all trust, all who trust in them. And that is the problem. When you make an idol, you become just like the idol. Because guess what? We are made in the image of God. And if we are, we're supposed to reflect that image of God, not an idol. And that's the problem. The problem is, is God's purpose of creation has been redefined. Have you seen any redefining of what God created? We see it all the time. We're supposed to reflect God's image, but instead we reflect the world more often, which turns everything into an idol. And all of a sudden, God's purpose is destroyed. So we look at Daniel chapter 3, and we have to remember that they're hearing this for the first time, and they're not even reading it. You know, somebody's reading it to them, the emotion is there. All you have to do is listen, because Daniel wrote it well. Daniel builds it up to to a point of confession of young men. Verses 1 through 7 sets the stage like like an introduction. 
You know, you got the image, and it's set up, and it's massive. You got a major festival. Everyone's coming on, and then all of a sudden, there's a problem. So, what do you do with this conflict? How do you get it resolved? Oh no! How are they going to do this? Maybe no one will notice. And then we get to part two. The old Babylonian king, you know, or the old Babylonians complain to the king. The king is so happy. The festival's going great. Everything is just beautiful. Everybody's bowing down. Then the conflict comes, and the old wise men who used to be in charge, who are no longer the ones that are in charge, have been skipped over. And in verse 8, they come to the king, and it says, At the time, the, you know, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. We love you, king. You need to live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sounds... And all the music must fall down and worship the image of God, and that whoever does not fall and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You know, the ones that you should have thrown away, the ones that, that should be forgotten. And now look at these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought to the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Tell me it's not true. Is this true that you have served, not served my gods or worshiped the image I've set up? Now when you hear the sounds of the, all the music... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is a big conflict on the day, uh, the, the king's great day. I mean, the king's having a great time. Everything was going so well. What happened? What a question Nebuchadnezzar asked. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, King, I'm glad you asked that question. In fact, O oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This doesn't start out well for them. You don't say something like this to the king. It's a wrong thing to say. Imagine this. You're in front of the king of Babylon. We don't even need to give you an answer. You know, I think they're, they're saying, you don't remember? You should know this by now. Aren't we the healthiest in the kingdom? Remember you let us eat differently? So we didn't break our, our, you know, our style of eating. We didn't break God's commands on that. Do you remember the, the little dreams that Daniel helped you with? Yeah, yeah, well, we were the guys that prayed with them. They didn't say any of that. But they continue on in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then, God will serve, then the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I mean, these young men have just confessed. They've confessed, not knowing whether God is actually going to save them or not. These young men, wow. What are they going to get out of this? Well, as far as they know, they're going to get death by fire. Their confidence in God 
is a matter of principle. They learned from Daniel, who we learned earlier. What did, what did Scripture say? He set upon his heart. He decided. He made sure this is how I'm going to, 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 to live. And these young men followed his example. We need good people to give a good examples. They had confidence in their God. This is the right thing to do. Our God said, don't have any graven images or idols. We accepted him into our life. Therefore, we're not to have any images like this, no matter what happens to us. You see, the same thing happens in the book of Acts. Peter and John heal a man. For over 40 years, this man was crippled. The religious leaders thought the problem was solved. Jesus was dead. Problem solved, right? But then what he did was he released the 12 others to do the work. The problem actually multiplied. So they imprisoned them. Then in chapter 4, they let, you know, they let them out and said, here's the deal. Don't do it again and we'll leave you alone. No more preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John replied, it is better to obey uh, God than obey man. It's a matter of principle. Later, they get beaten, arrested, arrested, beaten, and then they rejoiced. You know what this reminds me of? What's going on in Canada right now? They're arresting pastors for holding church, literally. One guy was in hiding. One pastor was in hiding. He was still holding services at different places, and he finally came out of hiding after five months, and they arrested him. And they, they, they brought him before the judge. And the judge says, we will let you out on bail if you promise not to go preach. What did he say? Then leave me in jail. And guess what? They left him in jail. We need to be men and women of character. Men and women of principle. Men and women who say, this is the truth. And Jesus died for me. He has enabled me to build a relationship with God so I can stand up for Christ no matter the circumstances. Now, another thing that we read in chapter 3 of Daniel here. The bigger issue, and it's very subtle. It sets up between you know, a conflict between Nebuchadnezzar and the Jews. And this theme will run through the book of Daniel. Chapter 1, big picture. God gave, God gave. Not Nebuchadnezzar, okay? God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in. God gave the cream of the crop. God gave them wisdom. God gave them all these things as they rose in the, you know, in the upper echelon of the government. Chapter 2, the kingdom of earth versus the kingdom of the, or the king of the universe. In fact, this is the ultimate struggle. The king of this world versus the king of the universe. Remember, Daniel's readers were actually listeners. Did you notice the thing about the instruments? It was repeated so many times I couldn't, I couldn't keep saying it. My tongue gets tied. But he's making a point. There's a repetition there so we can remember. One of the statements that's repeated is in verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, and verse 12. And it says, worship the image of gold you have set up. You, king, you've set up this image. This is the image that you have set up, Nebuchadnezzar. And what are you going to do about it? The focal point of the story is Nebuchadnezzar versus God, not the three men in the fiery furnace. 
We focus on the fiery furnace, but as Nebuchadnezzar against God. And that's the whole point. So here's the question. Who is the God? He's the God of the universe. Who is the ruler? Man. Who deserves the worship? God. Not the king of this world. The God of this universe. Well, we know the story. The fire is so hot that the men who threw them into the fire actually burned up and were killed. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't even smell like smoke. Now, I can tell you, even going out for two minutes and dealing with my smoker when I smoke meats, I come in and I will smell like smoke. These guys don't even smell like it. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, wait, wait, one, two, three, okay, the fourth one. Oh, all right, I didn't call him out. He goes on and says in verse 24, weren't these three men that we tied up, or weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. The fourth one is Jesus himself. Then Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have set his angel and rescues his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Verse 29, therefore I decreed that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubber for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the province or in the province of Babylon. The God of the universe wins. But it's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, he still doesn't believe in their God. He just says, don't say anything bad about them because, I mean, did you see what happened? Don't do that. His view, there are other gods out there, but this is the biggest God. And that is not true. To end this today, I have a question for you. Why was idolatry so prevalent? And why is it still so prevalent? You see, there's nothing new under the sun. It was an Old Testament problem. It was a New Testament problem. It is a problem today. The last verse in 1 John says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. The book of Revelation, you have the harlot, Babylon. It is still amongst us. Now, we don't worship idols in the same way as they did in the olden days because our idols are a bit different, much more subtle. See, idolatry is putting things before God. So what have you put before God? What idol have you put before God? Or you know, whatever that thing is, that becomes the idol. Anything that interferes in your relationship with God can become an idol. That can be friendships. That can be things. That can be a TV. That can be radio. Satellite radio. 
It can be sports. Anything that you put before God. Now, does God say, don't ever watch TV, don't ever watch sports, don't ever have any friends, don't ever, you know, it's all about, you have to worship me 100%. No, God doesn't say that. But he says, don't put it in front of me. That all, that all has to be behind. Don't worship it. So the question is the ultimate question. What do you worship? Do you worship the one true God of the universe? Or do you worship other things? Good question to ask ourselves, as Fred said earlier in communion, every single day. I understood what Fred meant. He's not saying, oh, he's coming back to, to you know, I got to accept Christ every day. He's not saying that. But he's saying, I recognize who God is every day. And that's how I start out my day. That's what we need to be doing. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, there are so many things that are idols in this world that we don't even realize. I pray that we learn to worship you more and more each Sunday. More and more each day, we learn to put you in front of anything else in our life. That we not allow other things to become our idols. Lord, where we have idols, please point them out. Do it gently for us. And if we don't listen, do it a little more harshly. Because you are the ultimate God. You're the only God. And you are the only way. Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with you, God. And we recognize that. Lord, I pray that you bless us and you keep us. You watch over us. May your face shine down upon us. And may we not have idols before you. Thank you for loving us, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.